Hey everyone, this is Will and wanted to add a quick note before this episode starts. So this episode with Dan Dehart from Grander Rum was actually recorded several weeks ago. So that was before things had really accelerated uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, actually, I don't think it had even been declared a pandemic at that point. But anyway, uh, as you may know, John works in emergency management for a higher education institution in Miami. So His schedule, to say the least, has been uh, pretty intense over the last two weeks. Uh, Health-wise, he's fine. No cause for concern there. Uh, But it's taken us a few weeks to kind of adjust and be able to get this episode out to you. So just wanted to give you a heads up on uh, why it's it's taken a little bit longer than usual. So going forward, uh, we'll figure out how to roll with the punches and get back to our regular schedule. But just wanted to let you know. And uh, anyway, please stay safe out there. And we hope you both enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Rumcast, episode five. This is John coming down from Miami, and as always, we have Will in Nashville. What's up, Will? Hey, John. How's it going? I know we exchanged a virtual toast earlier this weekend. Um, you may yeah. have seen that if you follow us at the Rumcast on Instagram. So um, we say cheers to everyone. Yeah, cheers. So <laughs> we we uh, had a little toast to celebrate our first month since launching, and if you looked at the post closely, actually, you didn't need to look at it closely at all if you looked at it at all you probably noticed we were both drinking yeah. the same brand of rum which is <laughs> that was a terrible hint <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, which is grander rum so that's a rum sourced out of panama and uh as you may have got the not so subtle hint in the post is also the subject of today's episode where we talked to Dan Dehart, who is the founder of Grander Rum. So, John, why did we uh, pick Dan as kind of the next episode? What is interesting about Grander Rum? What what caused us to, to you know uh, have him on the podcast? Yeah, well, and and as you'll hear uh, when we talked to him on the podcast, and I mentioned uh, Grander was a rum that I just came to by chance locally and saw the bottle and uh, picked it up, knowing that it had uh, no additives and it was actually a store pick. So uh, I went ahead and took the leap, kind of blindly and. And found that I really, really enjoyed that rum. And that was one of the reasons of starting to think about talking to Grander. And then I think uh, another reason is that there's so few of those type of products out there on the market that are, uh, you know, honest stage statements, no additives, and especially from a place like Panama. Uh, right for a spanish style rum right yeah kind of a you know 100 percent column distilled rum um it could be a, a style in the category where like you said it is harder to kind of find something that you know is isn't going to have sugar added um is going to have an honest age statement and i think like you mentioned kind of encountering grander in the store you know mm-hmm. that's that's an experience that people all over you know the country i think are starting to see i, I know in stores up here in nashville I, i'm seeing it more and more in rum groups online i'm seeing more and more people post about it so they're doing something that's interesting and just to give you kind of a snapshot of what grander has available on the market right now so it's all sourced from las cabras distillery in panama and Mm -hmm. they've been doing that and releasing it since 2015 so currently there are four expressions they're all molasses based all column distilled and what many like you said would traditionally describe as the spanish style so there's an eight-year-old a 12-year-old a single barrel cask strength version of Which the is what I had. Yeah. 
Great. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been able to get that one up here yet. I, I do have uh, mm -hmm. the 12 year old, which is what I was using in our digital toast. But uh, and then there's the newest expression, expression, which is a blend of 12 year old and 15 year old rums that are then finished in rye whiskey barrels from Heaven Hill for eight months. So, you yeah. know, a variety of things, some longer aged expressions. It's, it's something that is, is nice to have in the marketplace. And I, I think a lot of people are really seeing it as a, a good rum to sort of introduce people to who are a little newer to the style. It's a good clean expression of what that style can be. And that's a lot of, you know, what we talked uh, about with Dan in the interview. Right. Is, you know, one of his missions for the rum is to have something that he can take and give to people who are newer to rum. So he comes from a bourbon background. He's from Kentucky. He currently lives in Florida um, and was originally a bourbon drinker, you know, John, like yourself, yeah. and kind of discovered rum and wanted to create something that you could give to people who don't see rum as, you know, uh, something to drink by itself and that would exactly convert them. So that's one of the things that really stuck out to me and I was excited to talk to Dan about. And that's what connected me to it as well as uh, kind of that the bourbon world into the rum world. And that's something we get to talk to him about because uh, he himself was a, a bourbon connoisseur and came into the rum world very similar, as you mentioned, to me. And I think another thing that's very interesting as well is we mentioned it's, it's from Panama and Las Cabras Distillery. And there are other products on the market that are uh, distilled from there. But unlike those products, this one is, is a bit different in terms of uh, what he's bringing. As we mentioned, no additives and no sugar. And a lot of the other products from Las Cabras may not be that way, right? Right, right. That, that's always one of the interesting things to me when I talk to someone who is, is kind of operating as an independent bottler, where they're not distilling the product, but they're sourcing it and, and right. having to have that sort of collaborative experience between themselves and what they're trying to bring to market yes, and yes. what the distillery is producing. It's, it's just a really fascinating dynamic to me. And I especially found that part of the conversation with uh, Dan interesting. Like I was excited to ask him, you know, when you go to this distillery like Las Cabras, where they are doing other products who, that, you know, add things uh, to the rum and, and that sort of thing. And, and part of Dan's vision is, is to not do that. And, yeah. so I was, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoyed about the conversation was asking, like, what was that like when you said, hey, I want to create this rum, I don't want to add anything to it. What was the distillery's reaction? Were they like, uh, are you sure you want to do that? Or, or were they excited about it? So getting yeah. to hear about that was really interesting to me. And yeah, I, I, I think just getting to hear about what's next coming from Grander. You know, I mentioned the rye barrel finished uh, expression. There's other stuff like that in the works. So getting to hear, you know, how you decide on which types of casks to use for that secondary maturation. There's there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I'm excited for people to to get to hear this conversation. Yeah, one of my favorite things that is as we get to talk to these people is to figure out the get the inside track, if you will, on what's coming next. Uh, and we get to do that here a little bit with Dan as well. Uh, and I think that's uh, always fun for me to, to listen to. And I think uh, hopefully uh, you all out there enjoy that part as well. Let's let's get to the interview. I think let's just jump right in. All righty. So we are here with Dan Dehart of Grander Rum. Dan, you know, to, to start things out, I, I really wanted to know when, when you were starting Grander, there, there's so many different sources available to, to you for rum around the world. I'm, I'm curious, how long did it take you to settle on Panama and what made you pick it over other sources? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, um, and, and in terms of going after a particular style, 
And and interesting enough, before I even got there, I, I was making the decision as to if I wanted to do a micro distillery or to work with a an existing rum uh, producer. Okay. And and so I went through that process and I decided based where I was in life <laughs> and uh, with a lot of different, um, I guess, uh, things involved that uh, working with a, an existing producer and, uh, and creating my own brand is essentially where I wanted to, to go. But the question, as you said, is how, do I, how did I end up with a particular producer? I worked and reached out to a guy by the name of Louis Ayala. He is a, an individual that has many contacts throughout the the rum. Uh, is, that, is that is that Rum University? Or is he yeah. With him? yeah. Okay. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was ringing some bells for me. And and I I don't know. He he may argue with this, but but I think uh, a lot of the rums that he and particularly producers he deals with are more of the Spanish style. Uh, uh, type of uh, rums out there. Column versus, distilled, lighter. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and honestly, for me, that's that's the spot I wanted to land in, simply because I enjoy the rums. I mean, a lot of people will say they're lighter style, but I think a lot of them do offer some really great flavors. And there's a lot of things you can do uh, with that style of rum. And so mm-hmm. for me, that's why I ended up in that space. But the, but the question of of how did I find a producer? So, so Lewis and I worked together uh, really through his contacts and sampling many rums and many distillates from different producers, which which I won't name. But mm-hmm. but we went through a, a just a process of of really trying to put you know, and maybe this is a wrong uh, perspective, but a box around what I was looking for, what type of style and having him have access to these various producers, suppliers, and bringing rums to myself and going through a process of elimination that way. So that's how it was really a process of elimination, how I ended up down in Panama and choosing the distillery in Panama to work with. So it sounds like you kind of had sort of a flavor profile in mind of the type of rum you wanted to go for. And then it was the process of saying, okay, where can I get that? It wasn't necessarily starting with a specific place in mind or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was more about the, the general taste profile and, and then trying to find the producer that really matched more specifically with my, my taste profile or preferences. Mm-hmm. And I do. I think that's a good point that you raised about, I, I think sometimes nuance gets lost when people talk about column distilled rum versus pot mm-hmm. distilled rum. And someone says column distilled and they just instantly think like, you know, less flavor or like a, like a very, very uh, comes off the, the still at a very high proof to where it's, it's practically almost vodka like or something like right. that. And Neutral, certainly, yeah. right. And certainly there are, you know, continuous column distilled rums that are along that spectrum, but there are also very beautiful column distilled rums that, that absolutely taste like rum and have lots of flavor. So um, yeah. I, it, I like it, that you pointed that out. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and it, it was really, I guess, Validated through the process that Lewis and I went through. There was a number of distillates that I was trying, and, and, and it was all aged distillates that I was examining at that point because I knew mm-hmm. I wanted Grander to, to be about aged rums. Um, 
I, I wasn't interested in coming out with a, uh, a silver rum, so to mm-hmm. speak, or a spice mm-hmm. rum. It was all about aged. Yeah, exactly. And so it, during that process of sampling, and I, I did, I did taste a lot of samples that I did not enjoy <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to really, uh, you know, to put it in a nice way. Um, and I'm sure other people would, but for me, uh, it was, you know, I was finding you know, a number of them out there that I did not enjoy. Uh, yeah. And I found a number that I did. And it, it was uh, through that process that, you know, there, you're right. There is a, a, a wide range of distillate coming from column distillation, some better than others. So, and, and then along those lines, so you found uh, a producer that you do love. I've seen in the past, you've talked about the process of selecting rum that you use for Grandeur uh, with the distillery team that you have selected in Panama, including uh, your master blender, uh, the Francisco Jose Fernandez. Yes. Um, so I guess the next level of, of asking you about this is then what does that process look like? And, and like how often does that take place where you go down and you taste and, and you figure out the rum that you want to choose for grander? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting process. And I, I would say I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have the collaborative relationship with the team down in Panama. They're, they're very patient with myself. I did not come from a spirits or a chemist background. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, I came in with uh, a lot of things I did not know, uh, mm-hmm. except for when I put it in my mouth, I could, I knew <laughs> I liked it or not. Well, that's the most important thing. It, yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it ranges. I mean, it, my first product was the eight year old. And um, I guess you, you have to understand my background. I'm, I'm, uh, Kentucky and by birth, I I do love bourbon. I still love bourbon. So those so those things have really influenced. I think my product and uh, I, you could uh, you, know, you could say grander is really a representation uh, of myself and yeah. my taste. And I knew going in that I wanted an age product, um, sixty eight years of age. I wanted the product to be able to offer some of the oak tannins from the barrel aging, mm-hmm. uh, some of the molasses notes that you would pick up uh, from rum. And I put together really, a, a, I guess, a list of, of my, my wish list of what I wanted the rum to, to deliver for me. On top of that, I, I did not want to add any sugar to the rum. I also wanted it to be at a higher proof than most rums that you'll find on the shelf, which happens to be 40% ABV or 80 proof. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up at 90 proof. But I, I put together that, you know, I guess my, my points of criteria and the team worked and produced uh, a number of samples in the blending. And so... Going back to uh, Francisco Fernandez, I, I, I really learned the, the value and the expertise uh, and that has to go into and the, and the level of experience that goes into blending. Right. I, I don't think, you know, when you come from the bourbon world, you don't really hear the term blending uh, too right. much. Yeah. But in the rum world, you do. And it really gave me an appreciation for the blending and the expertise required to do that. So he went and, and produced uh, various samples. And by the way, uh, Francisco Fernandez is, is also nicknamed Don Pancho. So I'm sure. I was going to ask, uh, do, you, do you call him Don Pancho or do you call, what, <laughs> what, what, do you call him Francisco? What is no, it? I call him Don Pancho. Uh, okay. I like it. 
yeah, that's his his uh, his nickname, and th- and that's um, usually what he's referred to as. So he he produced a, a number of samples uh, for me and went through the the tasting process and uh, was able to narrow down and went through the tweaking process. So again, a collaboration to say this is this is okay. This is the eight year old. This is what I want. Right. And then after that, um, you know, the new products, uh, again, it's a collaboration of, and, 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 it, and it does begin with me and I'm not trying to be selfish that way, but I, but I'm trying to go out there and, and produce something that really speaks to my taste. Right. right. And then, and then I leverage the expertise and the know-all of Don Pancho to come in and really provide me from his warehouse of age stock and blending expertise to come in and, and match what it is I'm trying to go after. Mm-hmm. So over the last few years that you said coming in that you kind of didn't have the technical expertise, but you've been able to learn that. And has that helped you to uh, it, it now pick uh, what you're picking in a different way? Or do you look at it in a different way? Or is it really just all about your flavor profile still? <laughs> I wish I could sit here and say my technical <laughs> expertise has shot through the roof. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, honestly, it has not. It, you know, I was listening to one of your prior uh, uh, casts of Maggie from yeah. uh, Privateer. And yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's really impressive, her level of expertise. My yeah. expertise is nothing uh, compared to that. But it, so I, it, it does, I mean, yes, I have learned things along the way. And that has helped form my approach. But mm-hmm. it, it also, at the end of the day, it comes down to the palate for me. And when I taste it, it either, yeah, this works, this, this is, this is, I can stand behind this or it doesn't work. And I just push that aside and move on. When you have those moments where, you know, you've given your criteria to the team down there and they bring you something and it's just not what you're looking for. What, what does that conversation look like? Is it hard to have or or (laughs) take me through what that's like? You know, it's, it's not hard to have. I mean, it's in in the sense because they're professionals and they, they uh, welcome the feedback and in their eyes, I'm their customer. Mm -hmm. And so what, I'm going after it at the end of the day is what they're trying to serve. So that, that perspective from them makes it easier, but where it becomes challenging is when I, when I bottle, I do a production run, I do go to Panama to approve the batch mm-hmm. for some people. And they may say, well, you've, you created it once, um, you know, reproducing it should be easy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, anything is perfect. And so when I go down there, I do approve each batch, whether it's the eight year, the 12 year, Uh, the single barrel is a bit different because it is what it is. You're not really, you're just, you're bottling that barrel. Um, So it makes it a little bit easier, but the other products uh, become a bit more challenging. So when I go down there and typically I will fly down there and I'll say, Hey, can you drop the samples off at the hotel? Cause I just want to spend time by myself with the samples. I bring uh, samples from prior bottlings with me mm-hmm. and it's a conversation between myself and the rum to really, say, <laughs> That's this, awesome. um, is this batch um, matching what I'm expecting um, mm-hmm. out of what the eight year old should be the 12 year or whatever the product is. And sometimes, you know, there's something missing mm-hmm. and I'll reject it and they'll go back and based on my rejection notes, they'll go back and make the adjustments and the adjustments are finding the 
other barrels of rum that are going to bring in some of the notes that maybe the batch does not have at that point. That's actually interesting, you know, the, the idea of, of you doing it alone in the hotel room, because I think when people imagine what it's like, they imagine this very, you know, romantic, like, cellar room <laughs> surrounded by the barrels and, and like, you know, a whole team around you tasting. But I could see how that would be, um, how it would be nice to be able to have that privacy so you're not having to adjust your yeah. reaction for, for an audience well, or anything. Yeah, like it, it's, it's um, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are times when, because of time pressures, I... I'll do it uh, in the uh, the production office, and they'll they'll usually four people come in. They'll bring the samples, and they're all sitting there, sometimes chatting, sometimes looking at me, and I'm tasting, <laughs> starting to sweat, going, "Oh my god, the pressure's on!" But <laughs> but it, but it isn't. It, it isn't. The, you know, the pressure is never on. The the only pressure is if I reject it, then it delays bottling. Mm. But I've rejected a number of times, and that's if that has to happen, that has to happen. I'm okay with that. Now, I may make some people upset because you know this, you know the single barrel, which also is part of that production, may get delayed in shipping to the U.S. or whatever. But I think everyone respects that I'm willing to forsake a, a timeline to ensure. Uh, the quality is there. So when you bring your criteria of what you're looking for to the distillery team, um, you know, one of the things about Grander that's very front and center is a commitment to no additives, uh, no sweeteners, no flavorings or anything like that. When you tell the distillery that that's what you want, you don't want any sweetening, nothing done to the rum. Uh, what is their reaction to that? Do they, do they try to say, are you sh- like, are you sure you want that? <laughs> it's a little more <laughs> difficult or how, how is that? How is that received? When I first um, had the conversation, which I don't know, it was I don't know, maybe four and a half years ago or five years. I, I think there was a bit of a interesting reaction to my request of, of you know, I'm, I'm not looking for a sweet rum. And because that may not that may not be true of of all their their uh, their clients. No, yeah, it's not. One I mean, would assume, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, let's let's be honest. There is a large market out there and demand for people who enjoy uh, sweet rums. Uh, I've heard about this. Yes, yeah, it exists. <laughs> uh, there's <laughs> a lot of there. people who they are out there, and um, you know, the reaction is, um, hey, Americans, uh, they have a sweet tooth and they want sweet. Right. And, uh, you know, there's there is a lot of truth to that. But uh, from my perspective, where I came from being a a bourbon guy by birth, you know, Scotch drinkers would say bourbon is sweet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, those that uh, that white oak does um, uh, play a role in producing those uh, flavor profiles that some people say are sweet. So, you know, you do hear a lot of people talk about bourbon and it being sweet. But anyhow, it's it's not sweet in the way that some rums are sweet, obviously. And that's mm-hmm. what I was after. And so, yeah, the reaction was really interesting as to, hey, Americans have a sweet tooth. Are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I'm very sure. And and secondly, uh, there was kind of an interesting reaction that I wanted to bottle it at 90 proof, mm. again, most rums being at 80 proof. Uh, but again, being a, a bourbon guy, there's not many bourbons out there that you'll find at 80 proof. Uh, yeah. It's all going to be, uh, you know, higher than that, and that's what I was used to. And again, that's what I wanted to create was really a product that spoke 
to me. Yeah, no, and you know, as a consumer, I'm grateful for that. You know, one of the things, there are so many times where I find a rum at 80 proof that I think is good. And I'm like, I wish this just had a little bit more, you know, at least getting up there to 90, uh, hopefully to 100. But it's, it's really, it's nice to see a, a rum like yours that is available at 90 proof at the, the price that it's at. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I, I think so as well. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a good, a good quality uh, distillate uh, that people will uh, enjoy. So Dan, uh, when we spoke at Miami Rum Congress, I was um, gushing about your bottle design a little bit. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I find that, that the Grander's bottle design is, is elegant and modern in a way. And for me, it was the rare case where a bottle actually drew me into the product on the shelf long before I knew anything about the rum uh, inside of it. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what went into that design and your overall presentation? And was this just you sitting in a room in a hotel room coming up with this? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or were there others involved? Uh, and can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Uh, so in this case, there there were others uh, involved in this, and um, you know it was a really interesting process. I decided to hire a design group, and at least at the time, they were pretty small. I'm not sure if they are now, but they're out of Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And and it really was referred to me by an acquaintance acquaintance of mine out of Kentucky who worked for Brown Foreman, said, hey, we, we had actually looked at this company and have engaged them to do some work. And you may want to look at them because they're pretty small and they're hungry. And, and so I, I did. And it was interesting because the first thing when I decided to go with this group is they sent me a 12-page uh, form to fill out. Wow. And, and it was all emotionally based questions oh, about- interesting. Yeah, it was about my brand as to my vision, what it represented, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the, I knew the name of my brand. I, I knew kind of what I wanted it to project. I wanted, um, and, and it's funny you say modern look. I was actually going more for a, a timeless look of something that looked <laughs> like it's been around for a while, but. But maybe I, I, I can see that one. as well. Yeah. <laughs> but but I guess strangely, when I look at it on the shelf, most of uh, you know the bottle designs that I see are are different in terms of the just the shape is circular uh, as opposed to what you have there. And to me, it just comes out as modern. But I, I see exactly what you're saying in terms of a classic design as well. Yeah, to me, it was uh, you know I, I was trying to get more like classic, you know, a little rugged, just you know something that was you know represented the product. Uh, product being. To me, it's a, it's a very good quality product, but mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to price it, you know, in a in a way that's attainable for for many folks as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to balance those two out, which is not always easy. Um, we I worked with this firm. Uh, it was really interesting. They uh, went through, answered the 12 question or 12 page pages of questions, <laughs> right? Which was not easy by any means. Uh, but I was floored. They came back with three very different design elements. Mm-hmm. One of them I threw out quickly. It just, it really missed the mark, but there was really two that spoke to me and this, this happened to be one of them. I mean, of course we had to evolve it from the original design sure. proposal, but, but yeah, that, that was it. I, I wish I could say I came up with it on my own, but uh, I probably lacked really the, 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 the true ability to <laughs> create something like that on my own. I, yeah. I needed help in that, in that regard. But was, you did have the vision going in, right? So this is yeah. this is your vision. Exactly. Yeah. A- yeah. Absolutely. 
was the rejected bottle design a bottle shaped like a marlin? <laughs> uh, thank God, no. That, that would have really scared the heck out of me. Um, now, you know, it's funny. The, the rejected one was, um, it was a nice looking bottle. I just, I think it, it really presented the whole, the wrong image of what I Yeah. So getting back to uh, Las Cabras, the, the distillery where Grander is produced, you, you mentioned in another interview that one of the things you appreciated about it is they grow their own sugar cane there. So they have total control over the raw ingredients. And, you know, it was interesting to me because I feel like one of the things I hear from time to time when people talk about terroir and spirits and, and things like that is that the molasses, when it comes to how the rum ends up tasting doesn't necessarily have that much of an impact where you, you know, where you source it from doesn't matter. It's, it's more down to things like the level of fermentable sugars, ash content and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious, what, what do you see as the biggest benefits of having the distillery producing the raw ingredients right there where it's, where the rum is produced as well? Yeah, I I think, um, and that, and that certainly was a big attractor to also choosing the, the distillery down in Panama, uh, the fact that they grow their own cane. And yeah, surely they're not the, the only one who, who do that. But um, at, a, at a scale that they're able to do it, it was pretty, pretty nice. Well, and it is becoming rarer, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, so lot, lots of places are having, that once grew their own cane are having to import their molasses now. Yeah, yeah, and it, you're right, and so so it is a nice thing. I I, I like to use the term uh, single origin <laughs> rum, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't think is an official term for uh, rum, but it but it certainly is for coffee. And I'm trying to use that term in a way that that informs people that uh, this this product is 100% Panamanian, it, and it does start with the sugar cane. Uh, it's distilled, aged, and bottled in, in Panama. But but for me, it, it's it's comforting to know that they do control the ingredient going into the product. Mm. Uh, they, they grow it. Uh, they don't have to worry about uh, supply and demand necessarily from external markets uh, because they're able to control their own product, uh, the quality of it going in. So there's a the level of consistency that I can depend on uh, in terms of their ability to supply and then also the quality of the product that comes in. And it's one less thing to have to worry about. Sure. Yeah. Less, less variables, less, less points where something can go wrong, probably. Right, right. So uh, one thing that you're moving into now, which is exciting, is you recently had your first uh, limited release from the barrel series, and that involves a, a secondary maturation in a different cask type. And for this first release, I know you took a blend of, uh, I think it's 12 and 15-year-old rums and put those in uh, used rye whiskey casks from Heaven Hill for uh, about eight months. So how did you decide to use those uh, Heaven Hill rye whiskey casks for your first release? Was there a lot of uh, going back and forth with that? Or was that kind of like you knew what you wanted to do with this first release from the get-go? More the latter. I, I, I do like rye whiskey. It's something that I knew I wanted to do. Heaven Hill barrels, why I chose those is I'm lucky enough to know some Heaven Hill people. <laughs> so. <laughs> Getting into those barrels, yeah. they were very supportive and and providing me barrels, uh, obviously not free of charge, but providing those barrels that I could uh, procure and send down to Panama. So, so for me, I, I do uh, enjoy rye whiskey. And I one night was drinking Grander Rum, and I also had some rye whiskey. I wasn't obviously mixing it together, but I thought, <laughs> hmm, I wonder if, you know, obviously we're, we're aging... The, the rum and ex bourbon barrels. Yeah. And um, 
and you don't hear about rye casks almost ever with rum, at least not in my experience. Yeah, I think there might be one or two I've come across, yeah. but it's but it's pretty random and it's pretty sporadic. But I I took a little bit of uh, rye, uh, maybe it was Rittenhouse, I can't remember. Just added a like a little drop to the rum, just to see, hey, do do these two potentially dance and do they maybe mingle together and I was, I tasted it and thought, wow, okay, this is kind of, I kind of like it. Uh, I like some of the spicy, uh, the ride notes that are coming in. And mm -hmm. this might be a interesting um, barrel type to, to finish the rum in. I just at that point to procure the, the cask or barrels, however you want to use my term, and then send them down to Panama and I remember the, I think the reaction from Don Pancho was, uh, someone told me he thought I was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing to this rum? Right, yeah. exactly. That, you know, this rum is good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, we sent the rye barrels down there and you're right, the first release, um, I sat in those barrels for eight months. I'm actually, we're in the process. I was just down in Panama, we're bottling the second second batch, and that rum will have been sitting in there for over a year. Um, so, so the same type of rye cast, just a longer yep. secondary yeah. maturation. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah longer time in the barrel. Okay, yeah, exactly. So, and then also we were uh, I've had a couple buyers have interest in picking out their own barrel. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen that in, in a in a few stores. Well, yeah, well, that's for the eight-year-old, but this is also for the rye finish. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, he, he picked out a, a couple of barrels. He picked out a single barrel of the, of the finish uh, or barrel series, mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to be bottled at cast strength. Um, and so that, that's going to be uh, – I'm really excited about that. That's some really good juice. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. And, and how, how do you decide uh, – are, are you thinking towards future releases in that cask series? I, yeah, absolutely. I've actually got other casks down in Panama uh, with rum filled up in it. So we have uh, some cask I picked up from Scotland. Oh, okay. And we we've got I'm some. Interested. Um, That's a nice hint. That's a nice hint. <laughs> so we uh, we've got some peated cask. Oh. And uh, we have some uh, unpeated Speyside cask. Wow. Awesome. Um, and um, so I was down in Panama sampling those and boy it's to be honest with you i the unpeated bayside cask i when i did my pre-work which was the sophisticated approach i told you about the rye where i take a little bit of the yeah. scotch add and a little drop make them yeah. dance yeah right yeah some people may be mortified by my <laughs> approach but um that i was like wow this this i'm i'm okay i think this absolutely would be great and then i did it with Pete as well. And boy, you know, Pete is such a dominating, mm -hmm. uh, has such a dominating flavor profile and uh, aroma. That one honestly scared me more than any of them uh, just because of how quickly uh, the Pete can dominate, I think, anything. It can mm -hmm. just take over anything. So stay tuned on that. I'm very hopeful that I can uh, balance it out and create uh, the right product that brings in the essence of the peat, but doesn't, you know, get overrun with it. Yeah. Uh, so, mm -hmm. so the, the scotch, and then also I picked up some barrels, uh, back from Kentucky. Uh, so, uh, some of your uh, listeners may be familiar with Woodford double Oak. I um, love Woodford double Oak. I'm, so, I'm a fan. So, so what they're doing is uh, my understand. Well, so they're, they're basically taking their Woodford product and transferring it to a new cask that mm -hmm. is light, 
lightly charred and heavily toasted. And uh, there, I've heard, now I, I could be wrong, uh, but I heard they're basically putting that into those new barrels for about six months. And that heavily toasted effect on the barrel is really bringing out some of those, I mean, some people pick up like chocolate notes and mm-hmm. vanillin. Yeah, vanillin yeah. out of there. So um, I picked up some of those barrels and also sent those down to Panama and we've got rum in those barrels right now. So that one is uh, interested and are going to be interesting, I think. Man, yeah, all kinds of interesting stuff coming down the line. And, you know, I, I actually, for the first time, had a rum that had gone through a secondary maturation in, uh, it was a Laphroaig uh, cask, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've had Laphroaig, but, you know, heavy on the peats, uh, yeah. a lot of those... Like, Tire fire. Yeah, a lot of those scotch characteristics that people are either, either like, oh, I love this, or please get that away from me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was it was actually, it was a privateer distiller's drawer release, um, um, that a that a rum group uh, had done a barrel pick for, and oh, uh, I had a I had a taste of it and was really like blown away in terms of just like how well it worked for my taste personally. Having you know that that smoke from the peat uh, and and still very much tasting like a rum, like it didn't dominate. So um, I'm I'm really excited to see how that turns out for uh, for you because based on that experience that I had, it, it seemed like a combination that uh, is is definitely worthwhile. Well, okay. I. I- if it doesn't turn out well, you'll never see it. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully it does. I have high hopes. Oh, Dan, I was going to say I'm excited for all of them. <laughs> uh, they all sound, all sound really cool. Um, yeah. I'm kind of a sucker for a series as well. So you, yeah. you got me. I think, you know, well, I appreciate that. You know, for me, it's, uh, you know, again, I think this, this brand really is a representation of who I am. And I, I like trying new spirits. I, I'm not wedded to any, I mean, you know, I, I obviously declared I, I love bourbon, but obviously I love rum. Mm-hmm. I like to drink some scotches sometimes. But I, I like to try a lot of different spirits and, and get introduced to, to new, new flavors. And, and so for me, you know, the Barrel Series is really a, a fun way for me to, to tap into adding new layers of flavors and even aromas to on top of a distillate that is already good. It's just exactly enhancing it. Right. Um, I was going to say that when you start with a good base distillate, uh, then you get good things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, it's fun for me to do that and it's, um, I'm sure I'll have some failures along the way, but you know, you you have to be willing to try something to see there's other casks I'm already looking at and, I'm I'm trying to do really more distinctive cask. I'm, you know, people keep asking me, are you going to do cognac or you know a lot of the you know port, port which is yeah, what you typically see, and and for good reason, right? Those obviously do because they work. Yeah, they work exactly, and yeah. and so yes, I may do those, but right now I'm trying to do more distinctive casks that are just you know a little different. Uh, I think that's great. So you've told the story uh, that you you left the corporate world uh, and you ventured out on your own to sell these great rums. So uh, here we are, I think it's like five plus years later since you launched and, and you're not only still selling rum now, but you're expanding your line with these new barrel release series. When you started out, uh, I was curious to see what did you imagine things would have been looking like five years in? And then also, how does that differ from what they are actually like now five years in? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, it's probably one of those uh, typical situations where you have a plan and you have to throw it out the window. Uh, <laughs> my, how soon yeah. How soon did it get thrown out the window? Yeah, you know, maybe within a year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the spirits business is, uh, you know, it's a really competitive, tough business. And particularly 
uh, if you're, uh, as I, I'll call it, bootstrapping it like myself. I, I'm an independent guy, virtually a one-man show, which, um, you know, I think is in some regards a disadvantage, but I also think mm-hmm. it's an advantage as well because it allows me to be very flexible and move quickly. Move quickly, and as you see these new line extensions, I, I can work fairly quickly on on trying to do some really interesting uh, things. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, honestly, my expectations of where I would have been in five years probably was very different <laughs> than where it is. But it's um, you know, one of the things that drew me to this category of rum is when I when I got into it, if you, if you, um, and I'll bore you with this, but it, if you, no, that, uh, that's what we're here for. Okay. It was spare yeah. me. But, but when I got into this, as you say, <clears throat> five years ago, yeah, which, which is hard to believe it's been that long. It's, <laughs> quickly but there's a lot of good data i think it's a distilled spirits uh organization i think i might have that wrong but they every year they produce data and they talk about the spirits industry within the u.s mm-hmm. and they talk about volumes and they they break that break it down by categories they have american whiskey and then within that they have bourbon and rye uh, they have rum vodka tequila etc 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 and with mm-hmm. each of those categories like vodka they'll break it down to you have premium or no i'm sorry you have value premium, high-end premium, and super premium. So you have four subcategories within one category. And the thing I found interesting is if you looked at the super premium category, which at that time I think was based on an arbitrary number of $30 and up. Okay. Was considered super premium, and uh, seems, think, that seems quite low for a term like super premium. Super premium <laughs> it, yeah. it, no doubt, I think We're actually need super uber premiums. So right, yeah. exactly. Well, I think I think now they've raised it to maybe thirty five dollars. But <laughs> oh, great! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it, it looked like most spirit categories were trading between between eight to fifteen percent of their overall sales was based on super premium. So if you took tequila for an example, maybe fifteen percent of all tequila sold in the U.S. as super premium mm-hmm. falls in that subcategory. And so if you looked across generally, you know, the bourbon, the uh, vodka, the tequilas, usually eight to fifteen percent of those categories being sold were super premium. Rum. At that point, I think was roughly like 1.2%. Wow, yeah. Of all rum sold in the U.S. was super premium. But the overall rum volume was pretty staggering. I don't remember the number, but it was, it's big. And I was like, wow, what, why is that? You know, this is such an outlier. And that really attracted me to it. And, and it, it just dawned on me that I think most uh, American consumers – uh, for spirits, don't understand that there's really nice rums out there uh, that exist. And, yeah, and, and that's why we exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, exactly. You're you're exactly right. But there's this whole spirit category that most Americans are not aware of that is just waiting to be discovered. And and it is. It's it's year over year. It, it keeps growing, which is exciting. Yeah, I, actually, one of the things I had down to ask you about coincides nicely with that. Is you know, it's basically part of your job description now to become someone who can convince American drinkers that rum isn't just a party spirit that you kind of bury in sugary cocktails. So I'm guessing you've tried a lot of different (laughs) approaches to winning people over over the years. So what do you think it's going to take to do that on a large scale, not on just the individual level, but to really get to get that figure that you mentioned earlier, just you know, one point two percent up to somewhere uh, approaching the level of other spirits categories. Boy, that's a that's a great question. I think it's yeah. I think really it's a community effort. I think things mm. you know exactly what you're doing 
is is a big part of that. I see these bourbon groups um, around the country where you have folks that are part of these bourbon groups that are starting to wander around into different spirit categories because they're they're realizing that you know, there's really good spirits out there besides yeah. bourbon. I mean, bourbon is great. Rye whiskey is great, but there's a lot of other great spirits. And and so those folks I'm seeing are also having a tremendous impact on on the consumer because as I as I I like to say when I got into this, my idea and goal is that at some point, middle America, it's not just about the coastlines, but middle America starts to really get into rum and, and enjoying rum for mm. what it really is, the, the good stuff. And, and so I think the, those bourbon groups are really playing a, and I don't think intentionally, I think it's just they have discovered that there's these great rums out there right. and they're talking about it and it's sparking interest and you know, things like that, I think are going to have a huge impact on, yeah. on this industry. Well, you're, you're talking about me specifically in this case, because that's exactly my story. Um, I talked about, you know, I came from bourbon as well and was able to try some, uh, quote unquote, super premium rums (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) fell in love with the category. And uh, there was just so much, as you mentioned, you know, kind of exploration in, in rum, but also to to realize that bourbon wasn't the only thing out there that had a good quality based kind of distillate behind it. And that that, that it, this whole world existed that I was kind of unaware of. Uh, and I just, I, I fell, you know, head over heels for that. So I get exactly what you're saying. And I, I agree 100%. In fact, there's a Miami Bourbon Society. I haven't even told Will this yet, uh, that I'm going to try to... Uh, to Breaking news. In infiltrate uh, very soon with some uh, with some high end uh, quality rums and uh, introduce them to uh, with the hopes that we can uh, also let them know that this is great product that's out there. And that's funny that you kind of are talking about this because uh, I had this kind of aha moment uh, with rum and uh, I see a lot of people do have that aha moment. And you've talked about that in the past where you've mentioned like in interviews that you love seeing the moment when that happens yeah. for other people. No doubt. Um, I guess, um, did you ever have that aha moment with rum as well? <laughs> and, and if so, could you tell us the story? <laughs> well, of course I did. I think uh, just like yourself, I did. And yeah, and I, and I actually, I do remember it. Uh, I guess it was the early 2000s. My wife, uh, Jill, and I, uh, we have done sailing trips mm-hmm. uh, where we would, we would bear boat. We would rent our own sailboat in the Caribbean and, and she would have trust in me or blind faith in me to get us around <laughs> the different islands. <laughs> and, and so we went uh, to one spot where we rented the boat and the people or actually the company we rented the boat from had placed a bottle of rum on there. And actually it was uh, Puster's rum. I'll, I'll, oh, got I'll it. Yeah. tell you about. And at that point, I mean, I was not at all a rum drinker. And to me, rum was, it was frozen daiquiris or pina coladas that were just uber sweet. And yeah. that's, that's what I thought. And they had this rum. And then before we, we departed the port, uh, we, we did a grocery run. And I, I remember Jill bought some stuff to mix it with and mm-hmm. you know, to, to make whatever. I can't remember what. But anyhow, one night hey, on the boat. Killers because right. Puster's <laughs> trademarked it. <laughs> exactly. I, well, yeah, well, it wasn't that, but, but I did have a painkiller from uh, uh, the bar down in the BVI's. Uh, right there you there. go. Yeah. But, but so I remember one night on the boat after uh, we had cooked out and I was sitting there 
And I, I did not want a sweet drink. I just, my, my palate was already done with that. I was missing my bourbon because usually my bourbon I'll drink over ice uh, or neat. And so I poured just a little glass of that neat mm-hmm. and took a taste of it. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is not like the typical rums I, I've had in the past. And I it, it really just threw me for a loop. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, at that point, I, I, I was like, what? what is this? And I looked at it and and it just was not what I was expecting. And I was really uh, pleasantly surprised and, and taken back. And that was my aha moment. I, I realized that, wow, there's this whole other category of rum out there that exists that I I wasn't aware of. And it it really pushed me down this journey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then thinking about that and and your journey specifically, and then how that led you into, uh, Grander Rum. What do you hope are like the lasting impressions that consumers will have about Grander Rum? Like, how did you try to engineer the product to meet that goal? What are the things that you want people to remember? So for me, I mean, the biggest thing is I I want to have a quality, honest product that at a fair price. I I, I want to bring something to market that people are really happy with. They enjoy it. They realize after they taste it that it, it, it is a you know a quality product that for them it, it, they can experience and appreciate what I'm doing so you know it's it's you know creating grander rum or you know I think it's probably true for many people who create a, a come out with a product you know a lot of people want to come out with a product that they can hang their hat on and be proud of and and yeah. really feel like that people appreciate what, what it is you're doing. And, and so for me, that's, that's grander rum. It's, it's coming out with a, a product that, you know, will speak to, uh, you know, a lot of people, a wide range of people as well. For me, what's the most enjoyable part is converting these, uh, I guess, rum naysayers, which I was, uh, to, you know, tasting it and going, wow, this is rum. <laughs> Yes, it is rum. And really just getting excited about the, the product and something that they can hang their hat on and knowing that every time they pick up a bottle of Grander, it's going to be a quality distillate that, that they're going to enjoy. And looking toward the future a little bit, Dan, and, and certainly not implying that you need to do this. And I know you have a great team down there in Panama. It sounds like you have a great working relationship with, but hearing that your kind of aha moment came from a rum sourced from Guyana, I'm curious if you have your eye uh, uh, toward other uh, rum producing nations at any point with Grander, or if you plan to, to really stick to bringing out uh, just that, that Panamanian rum. Yeah, that's, um, boy, that's, that's, a, um, that's a great question. I mean, right now, so in the short term, yeah, it's, I'm sticking with the uh, Panamanian rum. And I, and I think for, for a couple of reasons, one, I, I think there's, you know, I've, I've scr- barely have scratched the surface in the market sure. with, with my product. Yeah. Uh, that's one. And, and secondly, I'm still excited every time I go down to Panama that there's new things I can bring to the market. You know, we, we talked about the barrel series. I've got uh, something else coming out, a, a trophy release, I call it, and, and other things. And so there's, there's a lot of product um, sitting down in Panama that I can work with uh, you know, to, to bring to the market that I think will excite uh, a lot of folks who, mm. who are looking for this. So I, there, yes, I have thought about, you know, Jamaican rums, uh, Ghana rums. I mean, there's a lot of great rums out there that mm-hmm. I would love to work with at some point, but I've got more on my plate with what I can do down in Panama right now that, you know, that's, that's my focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you able to tell us any more about the trophy release you mentioned at this point? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I'm bottling that down there as well. So the, the trophy release is a small batch offering. I mean, at least it's small batch now. Um, uh-huh. But it's a basically, it's rums that I am selecting down in Panama between the ages of 8 and 15 years and blending those together to create a small batch offering. And so it's really picking out some really interesting, uh, I think, delicious rums that are aging down there and in creating these these small batches. So it, it's a it's a rum that should offer a lot of flavors and aromas and and uh, I think be really just delicious on the on the tongue, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's really what it is. I, I plan on uh, assuming that it's well received. Plan on releasing batches maybe twice a year. Uh, each batch obviously will will carry its own batch number, and you can and should expect differences from batch to batch. But mm. uh, they're going to be between ages of eight and fifteen years. And the first batch is bottled at fifty five point two percent ABV, so it's going to be higher higher yeah. proof uh, uh, alcohol as I well. Like it. For me, you know, I, I draw back to my my bourbon roots. I, I do like small batch products um, yeah. that are coming out. I think they're they're really interesting. There's a lot of you know, you got Kentucky Owl, you have uh, Little Book uh, out mm-hmm. of Jim Beam, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, Booker's uh, yeah. is is a small batch offering. And mm-hmm. there's Four Roses, and there's plenty yeah, of yeah. And so those products to me are just out of this world, and and I and I feel that there's this great age stock down there between the ages. And I, I personally think, and I'm sure people would disagree with me, but I, for whatever reason, I think the sweet spot for, for at least aging down in Panama is between ages of eight and 15 mm-hmm. years. I think I can get consistently some great product there. When you get beyond that, I, I think then you have to start dealing with a lot of the wood effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there's not great products that are after that age, but I think it becomes um, more challenging. But for eight to eight to fifteen, that seems to be the sweet spot, and that's why the the trophy release is going to focus on that range uh, of aged. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that as well. For sure. Um, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to to answer our questions. Uh, I know you mentioned you had listened to a, a previous episode, so you may be familiar with this. Um, if you're not, if you didn't make it to the end, I won't hold that against you. But we have an optional final segment uh, that we always do with our guests where John asks a series of rapid fire questions over the course of one minute. So I have to ask you now, are you up for it? Bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. I've got a minute on the clock and go. All right. Neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot, or blend? <laughs> well, all of the above, but I'll have to pick uh, columns that's grander as it. <laughs> all right. Your favorite rum mixed drink? Uh, you know, just a simple daiquiri of uh, simple syrup, rum, and fresh lime juice. All right. Swordfish, a marlin, or a sailfish? Uh, marlin, of course. Ah, I thought so. Grander gets his name from what fishermen call a rare 1,000-pound marlin catch. Would you rather catch a Grander marlin or sell 1,000 bottles of Grander rum? <laughs> sell 1,000 bottles of Grander <laughs> rum. All right. Uh, your favorite person to share a bottle of rum with? Uh, a bottle of rum with my wife. All right. If someone overheard a person incorrectly saying that Grander had additives, are we allowed to call that Grander slander? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, what country not named Panama makes the best rum in the world? Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I guess we'll go with uh, 
Barbados. All right. And your favorite bourbon? My favorite bourbon. But, you know, it changes. But I, I would say consistently, uh, I'd have to go with Flanders. All right. You got to call hey. it. Thank you, Dan, for making it all the way through. Ah, I enjoyed that was awesome. it. it was a lot of fun. Lot Thanks of fun. so much, Dan. Yeah, that was cool. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Rumcast, our interview with Dan Dehart. Uh, if you like what you heard and you want to check out more about Grander Rum, uh, you can go to their website. It's at grandeurrum.com. You can look them up on Facebook, Instagram, etc. And actually, their website uh, is is pretty well put together. I was impressed with it. There's a lot on their, I like uh, it a lot. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot on their production process. It kind of takes you through it step by step. So check that out for sure. Look for them at your local stores. Uh, if you want to support what Dan's doing, which I would encourage you to do. Yeah. And as always, if you like what you heard and you want more Rumcast, uh, let us know. Uh, we loved hearing from you all and the feedback and uh, figuring out uh, what you like about the podcast, what you want more of, uh, really keeps us going and gets us going in the right direction for uh, future episodes. So um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, anywhere you really get your podcast, give us a review that really helps let us know uh, if you're enjoying it. And we uh, will see you on the next episode. Yeah, we'll talk to you then.